Happy Easter. If you, that was weak. <laughs> Happy Easter. Happy Easter. That was good. If you have a Bible, please go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, a Pew Bible. That's page 969 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to turn there. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be looking at the text we just read. Also, if you want to, you can go ahead and hold your place in Romans chapter 1 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's ultimately where we're going to land. While you're turning there, i got a good one for you. There was a man whose mother-in-law had a dying wish, and she wanted to go to the Holy Land. She wanted to walk where Jesus walked. So being a good son-in-law, he got on the computer, he found a travel agency, he set up the trip, he even paid for the trip and sent her on her way. While she was there, it happened. Peacefully, she died in her sleep. The hospital called the son-in-law and said, uh, gave him the news and said, it'll cost $15,000 to ship her remains back to the U.S. from Israel. But for $500, you could bury her right here in the Holy Land. Son-in-law thought about that. He said, no, 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 just send her on back. And the man said, well, I don't think you heard me. You're going to save a lot of money. It's only $500 to bury her here in the Holy Land. And the son-in-law said, no, 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 I don't think you understand. 2,000 years ago, y'all buried somebody over there. And three days later, he came back, and I'm not taking any chances. <laughs> yeah. Is that good, Ricky? That's good. Good. Hope my mother-in-law is not watching. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much because you are so good. And as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would speak. Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the message this morning that you have for us? Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, amen. amen. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is talking with his disciples about a familiar topic, and that is the topic of fear. And he's telling them not to fear the things that are going to come because they believe the truth. Now, for a Christian, one of the ways fear creeps into our lives is that fear comes in when we take hold of the temporal and we lose sight of the eternal. When we take hold of the things that are of this world and we lose sight of the heavenly reality that we have. Jesus says to him in verse 26, he says, have no fear of them, meaning those who will persecute you for the truth. He says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. The first thing that Jesus tells his followers is do not fear persecution. Do not fear persecution because of the truth. Instead, continue to proclaim the truth to others. Everything that I've been telling you, Jesus says to them, every deposit of faith I'm making into your life, you go and you proclaim that to other people. The second thing he says to him, we see it in verse 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's how intimately God knows us. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. The first thing Jesus says to his followers is do not fear persecution in this life. Keep proclaiming the message. 
The second thing he says is do not fear an earthly death. Do not fear an earthly death. If you're going to fear anybody, fear the one who can kill both soul and body. He says, don't fear an earthly death, but live your life in light of the power of God, the power that God has. And he says, both of these things are important because of verse 32 and 33. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Jesus says, I want you to be people who proclaim. I want you to be people who live in light of God's amazing power. And he tells them, these two things matter because your earthly profession, what you profess to believe here on this earth, has eternal consequences. And for the Christian, there is no such thing as just a private faith. It is something that we proclaim, we live in light of the power of God, and we profess his name. But that raises a question. And the question is, what exactly is it that we are to proclaim as followers of Christ? What exactly is the power of God? And what does that power do? And what exactly is it that we are to profess? That's where I want us to go to Romans chapter 1. Please turn over to Romans chapter 1. That's page 1116 in the Pew Bible, if you're following along there. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writing this amazing letter to the church in Rome. In verse 16... He gives us this living example of what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 10. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Notice that. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of something. That word ashamed there means that I'm not afraid to reverence something in my life above all other things in my life. It means I'm not, I'm not ashamed to proclaim something in my life above all other things in my life. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What does the gospel do? He says, for the gospel is the power of God. Notice that. It is the power of God for something very specific, for salvation to everyone who believes, everyone who professes this for themselves. Right here in this verse, Paul gives us this picture of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 10, that we too are to be the people who do the very same thing and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But that raises another question. And that question is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? My fear is that if you were to walk up to your average Christian today and ask them that simple question, what is the gospel, they may not be able to give you an answer. My greater fear is that if you walked up to 10 Christians today and you asked them what is the gospel, you may get so many different answers, you just leave confused. There's this famous quote that says, when the first generation knows the gospel, the second generation assumes the gospel, and the third generation loses the gospel. So the most important question we could ask on this resurrection morning is, what is the gospel? And for that, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. That's page 1142 in the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, in the first two verses, gives us seven truths about the gospel. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Right there, he gave us seven things. Did you see them? First thing about the gospel is the gospel is something we must be reminded of. We must constantly be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. So many times in the church we think that the gospel is the elementary part of the scriptures and then we move on in some way to more mature things. Let me tell you, there's nothing more mature in the Bible than the gospel. So we must remind ourselves of it constantly. The second thing he says is the gospel is something that we preach. So many times we say that the gospel is something we should just live out and we should live it out, absolutely. But good news must be announced. It must be proclaimed. And so the gospel is what we constantly preach and proclaim. Number three, he says the gospel is something that we should receive. And we have to receive it for ourselves. No one can receive the gospel for you. You can't just inherit it from your family. You have to receive it. It's a very personal thing that you have to receive for yourself. Number four, he says the gospel is the very thing that we stand on. Anywhere we find ourselves in life, in whatever situation we find ourselves going through in life, it is the gospel message that we constantly stand on because it is our firm foundation. Number five, he says, is the gospel by which we are constantly being saved. So many times in the church we think that I believe the gospel and that gets me into the church and then somewhere along the way I start doing good works and that keeps me in the church. That's called a heresy, by the way. The gospel is the very thing that saves us from beginning to end. We are always being saved by it. Every second of every day as we inhale and exhale, we are being saved by the gospel. Number six, he tells us that the gospel is something we must hold fast to. We must cling to it. Again, every moment of every day. Because the warning is, number seven, the gospel can be believed in vain. The gospel can be believed in vain in vain. Means, meaning we can give mental assent to the gospel, but it has no power in our life. And that is the question for us. Have we believed the gospel in vain? But again, what is the gospel? Look at verse 3. He says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. If something is of first importance, all other things are of lesser importance. Here is what is first importance, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He's saying, you can go talk to these people. Verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul says. And then Paul says in verse 10, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. This is the gospel of grace. The gospel is that Jesus died because we had a sin problem. Because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we have inherited sin. It is a part of us. We have a sin nature, and then we live out of that sin nature. We actually sin in our lives. And so God sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, being nailed to the cross that we deserve. And then he placed him in the tomb that had our name on it. And all of this was in accordance with the scriptures, meaning God told us he was going to do this hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually happened. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead to overcome our sins so that we can be set free to have a new life in Christ. That is the gospel. But again, the question is, have you believed in vain? You may be here today and you may wrestle with this idea of resurrection. 
You may say it's a great holiday. I enjoy getting together with family and wearing pastels. All that's really great. But you may wrestle with this idea of God raising Jesus from the dead. It was not resuscitation. It was resurrection. If you're wrestling with that, you're in good company because the Christians in Corinth were wrestling with the very same thing. Verse 12, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? People were saying this in the first century. People say it today. There is no resurrection of the dead. But Paul says there are some consequences to that. In verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ was raised, the first thing. If there's no such thing as resurrection of the dead, if God cannot raise the dead, then Christ was not raised from the dead. And here's what it means for me and you, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Meaning what I'm doing right here, right now, is pointless. It's in vain. It's going to have no result if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Not only that, he says, not only is our preaching in vain, but your faith is in vain. Any ounce of faith that you may have, any trust that you've put in Jesus, any faith that you have had, it means nothing if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Not only that, verse 15, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. That right now as we sit here in this worship service on this Easter Sunday singing these songs about God who raised Christ from the dead, that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you and I right now are seriously misrepresenting the God of the universe by being in this building. Not only that, verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Every time you've asked for forgiveness... Every time you've told God you were sorry, every time you've tried to change and turn from your sin, that's what repentance means, you haven't. All that guilt is still on you. All that shame is still on you if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Not only that, verse 18, he says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. All of those who died, putting their faith in Christ, they have perished. That word perish simply means they cease to exist cease to exist. All the funerals that you've gone to, where you've walked by and you've seen people laying in their casket, all the hope that you have of heaven, an afterlife after that, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, it means nothing. And then verse 19, if Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul says is that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then what I'm doing right now is pointless. Your faith is pointless. We are misrepresenting God. You and I are still in our sins. All those who have gone before us have perished. They simply cease to exist. There is no afterlife. And everybody who's driving down Atlanta Highway right now who sees our cars in this parking lot should look at us and pity us if Christ had not been raised from the dead. But what does verse 20 say? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Yes. Verse 54 says, Now death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all because of the resurrection. But the question is, have you believed in vain? That's the question. It's possible. People say all the time, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. Church is full full of people just like there are people in the world. It's true. It's true. 
Because there's a difference between going to church and being in the church. There's a difference between going to church and being in Christ. It's true. In 2011, I was driving from Athens, Alabama, back home, and my phone rang. It was a young man named Ben. And Ben was crying. I don't know if you know this or not, but grown men normally don't cry. Ben was just sobbing on the other line. I asked him what was wrong. He just kept saying, Chris, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good person. He kept saying it over and over and over again. He kept saying, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. Every time I make a mistake and do something wrong, I do three good things to make up for that wrong. Chris, I'm a good person. I've always made my parents proud. I I have a career. I am a good person. And he's just bawling. I said, so what's your problem? He says, Chris, I'm a good person, but I am absolutely empty on the inside. I have no peace. I have no joy. I have no purpose. But he kept saying, but Chris, I'm a good person. I just wanted to be a good person. I just wanted to do good things. I wanted to please people. I wanted to please myself. I even wanted to please God. I always went to church, always went to youth group, always did these things. I'm a good person. But I don't know why I'm empty. I said, well, I think I know your problem. And I think you do too. He says, what is it? Tell me, because I am a good person. I tell myself that every single day. I'm a good person. I said, and that's your problem. Your problem is that you think you're a good person. Your problem is that you've compared yourself to somebody because in order to get good, you've got to measure it against something. You've compared yourself to somebody or some people and you think you are good. And I said, Ben, it's my joy to tell you, you're not a good person. You're actually not. In fact, Romans tells us no one is good, no, not one. Isaiah tells us, That our righteousness, the good things that we do, are like filthy rags before God. And Scripture tells us that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so you're not a good person. And for the first time in that young man's life, it clicked. He had been trying to be good. He had done the law really well. He had been trying to be good to build this life, but he tried to build it without recognizing this one fundamental fact, and that is that he is a sinner. He is not good. There's only one good person, and that is Jesus, the Messiah himself. And that one good person died for our sins, went into our tomb, and was raised on the third day to overcome our sins and our tomb. And that is the gospel. On the way home that day, driving down Highway 72, I prayed with that young man with my eyes open. (laughs) And he accepted Christ. Now, right here is normally the point in the message where you say, Chris, can we just put a nice bow on this and sing a song and watch people get wet? But I'm here to tell you, you came out today, you got up, you got ready, 
You fought through the traffic and the crowds and you found the perfect seat. Some of you. <laughs> you made it here this morning simply for me to tell you, you are not a good person. I'm sorry. You may think you're good. You may compare yourself to other people and think you're good, but when you compare yourself to the perfect Son of God, you are not good. But He has died in your place for your sins. He went into your tomb, the one with your name on it, and He was resurrected on the third day so that you can be set free. And that's what I want to give you an opportunity to do this morning. I don't know where you are and what you're going through. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I really don't care how long you've been in church. If you're a member of a church, none of that matters. The question is, have you believed in vain? Have you given mental assent to the idea of Jesus, but there's been no result, no change in your life? If so, that can change today. All you have to do is repent of your sins and ask Jesus to come in and be your Lord and Savior. And your life will change forever if you mean it. If you mean it. May we not believe in vain this morning. Wherever you are, would you please bow your head? I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer. But I believe that if you pray this prayer and you mean it with all your heart, it will change your life forever. And this morning we get testimony. We get to see Baptisms and lives change. People who've prayed this kind of prayer. This is the gospel. This is the power of God for your salvation. He died for you. He went into your tomb. And he was resurrected on the third day to set you free. And if you want that, just simply say a prayer like this. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin." Set me free to live a new life in you. I believe that you are my Savior. I believe that you are my Lord. And I'm going to live for you all of my days. Lord, I pray for every person who prayed that prayer for the first time or prayed it once again. May they experience the freedom that can only be found in you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for salvation, for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said,